You're listening to Randall Parker's Film Club with me, Randall Parker. Now, I've been inundated with emails wishing Mum and Mr White all the best for their wedding, which was due to take place yesterday. Well, as you may or may not be able to hear, I'm back stopping at Mum's for a couple of days and not in my bungalow. Yeah, Mum is currently tucked up in the airing cupboard, back on the bananas. Yeah, I'm sad to report that the wedding didn't take place. Yeah, Mum called the wedding off last Sunday when she saw a video of Mr White getting tugged off by a fat lass at his stag do. Yeah, I have to admit, things did get a bit out of hand. But never mind, we've got the usual packed podcast for you today, full of the usual reviews, emails and a few other bits and bobs that we normally have. Today's films are one from 1977 called Opening Night and one requested by a listener from 2019 called Pokemon Detective Pikachu. Tell you what though, it has been a hive of activity since last Sunday. Uh, First ideas of it was on Sunday afternoon when Mr White knocked on my door at the bungalow and broke the news to me. He came in. I didn't ask him to, he just came straight in, sat on the sofa and started to cry. Never seen him like that, he looked a right fucking state. How sunny, he says. Your mother means everything to me, he said, and I suggested that perhaps getting his end stretched by a fat-handed barrel wasn't the best way of showing it. Now, according to him, Auntie Christine got a video from Uncle Kenny's phone of Mr White misbehaving, and Auntie Christine then showed it to Mum, and the old house of cards just came tumbling down. He insists he didn't know what was going on, and someone must have sparked his drink. And I said to him, which one of the twelve did they spike? But he didn't answer. As soon as I could chew him out of my bungalow, I goes down to my mum's, but it's too late. She'd gone feral. Uh, she was going into a wedding dress with a pair of scissors, shouting a few choice words. And she said after she'd finished cutting up the frock, she was going after Mr White's cock and bollocks. Everyone has rallied around mum and been really helpful. Donna from next door came round and she told me that she'd sought out sending all of the wedding presents back, which I initially thought was very kind of her. That was until when I was walking past cash converters this morning, I saw most of them in the window, front and centre, brighter place. And I did notice a bit ago that Jackson, with two X's, is stood in the back garden with a new pair of trainers on. Between us, Auntie Christine and I have repurposed the wedding cake into a Christmas one. The bride and groom were fucked off now and we stuck a Santa on top, so swings and roundabouts there. Randall Parker's Film Fact before filming The Room, the film for which she won an Oscar, Brie Larson locked herself away for a month to get the feel of what it would be like to feel isolated. All of her friends and family loved the peace and quiet. Randall Parker's Film Fact The night I was sat in the bungalow uh, watching one of the films for me review opening night when there's this banging on the wall from next door, old Joe's place, and it's this constant bang, 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 bang. First thing I thought was, oh, fucking hell. Joe's taken a tumble and he sat there dying in a pool of his own piss. You hear about it all the time on the local news, don't you? So I storms round there, barges the door open, only to find old Joe booting a football around the place, kicking it against my fucking wall. Turns out this is how old Joe stays so young. He has a kick about for ten minutes every day. Apparently back in the 50s, Joe was a professional footballer and according to him, he was the George Best before George Best was a George Best. So I said to him, what, scoring loads of goals and winning trophies? And he said, no, getting pissed and fucking loads of birds. But good luck to him, I say. It seemed to be working for him and he's playing football at 94. I did ask him if he's any good at keeping uppies and he says the Viagra helps with that. 
Anyway, he told me the other day that he went for his sixth, yeah, sixth COVID vaccine. Apparently, he fancies the nurse down there at the clinic and keeps popping down. He's had more jabs than Frank Bruno. The other night, when he nipped round for a kip in me bed, I'm sure he was fucking glowing. Emails. Right, so on to emails. Now, last week, I mentioned that I was the prime suspect in the demise of evil arsehole Raymond Cress. Now, apparently, I made idle threats against him and his daughter decided to call the pigs. His daughter seemed to think that I'd gone up to Leeds, blocked the exhaust outlet on his boiler and he died from the resulting build-up of carbon monoxide. Now, I did call me brief Dawn Sanders just to cover me arse and she's done a bit of digging and spoken to the coppers up in Leeds and apparently I'm now in the clear. Turns out it was a dodgy gas fitter who did a service on the combi boiler and he weren't corgi registered so fucked it all up. But it turns out his daughter had arranged it to save a few bob. Sounds like a nice little earner for her because she's his only child. Apparently our Raymond was a retired university professor and you ain't seen a poor one of them have you? So she's got a nice little windfall coming her way ain't she? I mean he won't have spent much of it will he? He's 87 and the only thing people that old eat are peppermints and sardines on toast. Makes you think doesn't it? Right, on to emails. As I said earlier, the inbox has been bursting at the seams with emails about the wedding. Well, thank you for all that, but we're going to stick to the film-related ones for now. First email goes, Dear Randall, Something I've noticed is that at a certain point, actors who were once great seem to get to the point in their career where they think, fuck it, and start to do shit films and don't bother to act. Robert De Niro, for instance. At the start of his career, he was shit-hot, churning out amazing performance after amazing performance, even up to and including Michael Mann's epic Heat. Then came Meet the Parents, and that was it. Come to think of it, after Heat, both Val Kilmer and Al Pacino went off the boil. Look at the cinema version of Miami Vice. Colin Farrell's promising career seemed to fall off after this film. And then there's Johnny Depp. His career went tits up after Public Enemies, a film also directed by Michael Mann. Fucking hell, it's just struck me. Perhaps it's Michael Mann. Bloody hell, I could be onto something here. You know, if I was a Hollywood actor, I'd steer clear of that fucker for sure. But on to my question, which is, which once great actor does it pain you to watch now that they only make shit films? Many thanks, Dave Seaman. Well, you know, one actor that I find hard to watch these days is the once great purveyor of kung fu, Steven Seagal. In his heyday, he used to kick the shit out of all sorts of naughty bastards effortlessly. But it seems that since Under Siege 2, he's gone slightly fatter and slightly more Chinese-looking with every passing film. Just watch Code of Honor and you'll see what I mean. Thanks for writing in, Dave. Some thought-provoking stuff there. Next email goes. Dear Andal, how do you know that your experience of consciousness is the same as other people's experience of consciousness? Many thanks. Steve Turner, Gloucester. Oh, Our final email goes, Dear Andal, every Saturday morning before the 12.30 Premier League kick-off, a bunch of the lads take our little kids down to the local wacky warehouse and let them have a play whilst we have a coffee and just chat shit with each other. The topic this week was dome-headed Bond villain wannabe Jeff Bezos. Sam started off by saying good old Jeff was a trailblazer and should be applauded for changing the face of retail the whole world over. Darius said the opposite was true and that Bezos was killing retail and just look at the local high street. Every major store has closed and the only thing thriving are takeaways, coffee shops and Turkish barbers. 
Tony then pipes up and said that he could see both sides of the argument, but one thing was for sure, you couldn't knock Jeff Bezos for the way he's using his fortune to progress mankind. With such projects as Blue Origin's space programme and his 280 million investment into Altos Labs, who are researching how to reverse ageing. Well, as you can imagine, this was like a red rag to a bull, and Sam threw a red-hot latte into Tony's face, causing terrible scalds, and we are still waiting for Darius to resume consciousness. But my question is this. Do you think there is too much violence in movies, and does it affect children? Best wishes, Danny Carter. Bloody hell, Danny, mate. It's kicking off down there, ain't it? Hope everyone concerned makes a speedy recovery. But onto the question, is there too much violence in movies and is it affecting children? Well, I suppose films have got a bit more graphic in recent years, haven't they? Something I've noticed is you tend to see a lot more headshots in films, don't you, than you did back in the day. Not that I'm complaining, I do enjoy a good headshot. But back when I was a boy, they were always going about violence in films, video nasties they called them. And they said they were corrupting my generation of kids. Now, I watched fuckloads of these films and I turned out alright, didn't I? So, Danny, in answer to your question, I don't think that there's too much violence, but it may be a bit more graphic. And I don't think it's going to fuck your kids up. Thanks for writing in, Danny. About time we did a review, I think, don't you? So, on to our first review this week. And it's one from the list of greatest films of all time from 1977 and it's called Opening Night and it's directed by a fella called John Cassavetes. He also wrote it and is in it. I suppose it keeps costs down, doesn't it? And to save a few more quid, his wife is the main lady in it and she's called Myrtle. There ain't enough Myrtles in the world, is there? Fucking Boston name, that. Now Myrtle, she's a big famous actress and she's in this new play and before they take it to Broadway they're doing it in a small town just in case it's shit. Now, one night, they're all leaving the theatre and there's this right dopey cow asking for an autograph. Myrtle gives her one and once Myrtle's in a car, the girl runs in the road and gets run over and dies. Should you use the Green Cross code, love? Big Ken got hit by a car once, you know. Uh, he was walking home from school, uh, but he was fine and the driver ended up in hospital. Yeah, Ken kicked the fuck out of him. Anyway, the accident fucks Myrtle up and she starts to be shit in a play and starts to fuck about. Uh, the writer and producers and all the other actors say, you're a right twat, but this only makes it worse. She tells the writer that she keeps seeing visions of the daft cow what got run over and that's what's making her fuck up and be a twat, and it's got nothing to do with the booze at all. So the writer suggests she goes see this medium, you know, like Derek Okora. I used to love watching him on Most Haunted. Best thing about it, he was. Shame when he died, weren't it? But at least his spirit guide Sam's got some company now, ain't he? Anyways, Myrtle goes to the mediums and the girl's ghost turns up and they have a big fucking dust-up and she beats the shit out of the girl's ghost. Didn't get that on Most Haunted Life, did you? Anyway, this don't help much and when the play opens she turns up late and she's as pissed as arseholes but does the play and fucks it up and the audience fucking loves it. And it sort of ends there. Fuck knows what it was all about anyway. Just seemed to be two hours and twenty minutes of some woman being crap at acting in a play and getting pissed. I mean, you could have fitted the old story into about an hour and twenty minutes if you cut down on the length of time Myrtle spent mean moody and rubbing her hands all over her face. She did seem to do that an awful lot. Ratings-wise, I'm going to put this on a par with a pile of bollocks Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief, as no one understood a fucking thing that was going on in that either. That was opening night. Watch that if your sort of thing is watching the woman who owned the diner in Greece walking around with a hat made of peacocks. (laughs) 
Monday morning, Sharon the vicar came round after hearing the news about the wedding and wanted to talk to Mum. She said it was a big step to call off a wedding so close to the ceremony and she wanted to see if she could perhaps persuade Mum into changing her mind, stating that since she'd been going out with Mr White, she was a new woman. But I pointed out to her that her concern probably had more to do with Mr White holding back that cash payment for the roof fund until after the nuptials rather than concern for Mum. And then she kicked me square in the knackers. Not very Christian, that, is it? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this right. Now, every year, the shopping precinct has a Santa set up uh, for all the kiddies to nip along and sit on Santa's lap and tell them what they want for Christmas. Now, obviously, it's not the real Santa. We all know that. We're not stupid. Uh, they normally charge you five or four. It's you pop in, sit on Santa's lap, take a picture, and you get a little gift. Going on for fucking years. I even used to go. Right, well, this year, friend of the podcast... Well, friend of anyone who goes into Millbank Fish Bar, Tommy Slippers, uh, set up a rival centre, and for three quid you can sit on his lap, have your picture taken, and have a lollipop. Now, it's not as an impressive setup as the one in the precinct, but you do save two quid. Now, the one down the precinct has got all tinsel and lights, and Tommy's just sat on the bench next to the town clock with his dog on a bit of rope. But he's made the effort at least, he's put his red dressing gown and looks apart. Just as long as you don't mind your centre having sick in his beard. Mr White came round on Wednesday afternoon and there was a bit of a set-to on the front lawn. Mr White pounding on the door demanded to see Mum, me the other side of the door telling him fuck off, which in all fairness he did do. Well that wasn't until tea time when he came back and let himself in with a set of keys he'd got. Mum, who was in the kitchen at the time, flew at him, but luckily I managed to get in between them and took a tater knife to the right arse cheek. Don't worry, it wasn't too bad. I've had worse from Mum over the years. Mum shouted at Mr White that he should fuck off to Fat Andy Beryl and he shouted she meant nothing to him anymore and that was over a long, long time ago. Anyway, she went off to get a bread knife and I told Mr White to make a quick exit and we ain't seen of him since. He keeps calling but we don't pick up. Fat Andy Beryl, by the way, is the barmaid at the Dog and Partridge, worked there for fucking years. Funnily enough, she's got a son when my school, it was a year below me I think, uh, Francis, big fat dozy lad, lived with his mum at home. Teachers always used to get us mixed up for some reason. Said we looked the same. I couldn't see it myself. He's a right gormless twat. You often see him waddling around town. Think he might have learning difficulties or something. Seems to be obsessed with crisps and Dr. Fucking Who. Seriously, right, he's knocking on 50 and carries round with him a plastic sonic screwdriver. Walks around like he's shatting himself, boring the fuck out of people with his droning voice and chatting bollocks. I'll just tell you this, right? I've been staying at Mum's since Monday and nipped back to me bungalow on Thursday to get some fresh pants. Been wearing the same ones since Sunday afternoon. I got there, my home help, big fat Judith, had put all my clothes in bin bags and was working away through my emergency packet of dark chocolate obnubs. So I asked her, what the fuck did she think she was doing? And she thought that I must have passed away and she was doing a cleared out. So I put her straight and she fucked off in a mood. And after I'd put some fresh pants on, I did a quick stock check of the kitchen and she'd managed to deplete me stock of pot noodles and Kit Kats. Tell you something else, me jar of special 50p's has gone away well and all. Randall's Requests, sponsored by Janet's 24-hour party services. Right, so on to our second film review this week, and it's one requested by a listener, a chap called Rapew, and it's a film from 2019, and it's called Pokemon Detective Pikachu, and it's directed by a chap called Rob Letterman. As many of my friends will tell you, I've got very strong opinions on Pokemon. I think it's pure al shite, where companies market the fuck out of half-cocked ideas just to shift bucket loads of crap and shite onto kids and idiots. 
yeah, I'm more of a Yu-Gi-Oh fan myself, which is less simplistic in his gaming rules and needs complicated math skills. It's more competitive and involves more strategy-based thinking. Yu-Gi-Oh is more immersive and gives you the feeling of being the protagonist, whereas Pokemon is just for kids and sad bastards. But I put all of my prejudice to one side and went into this with an open mind. So this film starts in a bullshit world where people coexist with wanky little Pokemon monsters. Anyway, the main fellow in this is a chap called Tim who is crap with Pokemon. And he gets a phone call from the police of Rhyme City who say that his dad, who was a policeman, has been killed by a wanker Pokemon called Mewtwo. Now, Rhyme City is a magical place where Pokemon and humans coexist and live in harmony, which looks exactly like Bishopsgate and Shoreditch in London. And I should know because I got lost around there when I was supposed to be interviewing Cynthia Rothrock. Anyway, Tim goes off to his dad's house and finds dad's little Pikachu and he can understand everything what Pikachu says and no one else can. Yet it is as wank as it sounds. They find some purple gas that turns Pokemons into twats and Tim teams up with some reporter and they try to find out what the fuck is going down. At this point, I couldn't have given a flying fuck. Anyway, turns out the Mewtwo that killed Tim's dad didn't kill Tim's dad but fused his consciousness with Pikachu's and Tim's dad was inside Pikachu did actually think at this point, I bet it wasn't the first time Tim's dad had been inside that Pikachu. The poor little sod had a haunted sadness behind those eyes. Turns out Mewtwo is a goodie and remakes Tim's dad and they catch the real baddie who was the person anyone with half a brain would have thought it was from the get-go. Watching this, I couldn't help thinking that it would have been infinitely better by doing one simple thing. Not making it in the first place. Ratings wise, I'm going to put this on a par with Spice World the movie, as I think that was the last time I saw a bunch of brightly coloured monsters running around London fanning about for no real reason. That was Detective Pikachu. Watch that if you want to see a Charizard underused and a Jigglypuff totally ignored. Randall's Requests, sponsored by Janet's 24 hour party services. So next week will be our Christmas special episode, chock full of Christmas fun. And if you've got a Christmas film you'd like me to review, why not drop me a line? The email address, as always, is randallparker1971 at gmail.com. Right, I'd just like to say hi to Kung Fu Dan, who recently has been banned from the Asda, and regular listeners will know I'm not a big fan of that store since he pressed charges when Mum bit the finger off the security guard. Now, our Dan was shopping there, and one of the women who work there, well, that's a laugh, they just hang around the tin veg aisle gossiping and cast you a filthy look when you want some smart price garden peas. Well, one of the women from there uh, thought Dan was taking an unhealthy interest in the lingerie section of the George department. He said, how did she know he wasn't looking to buy his wife a gift? To which she replied, she lives over the road from him and knows he lives with his nan. Dan went on a rant about the abuse of people's privacy and her saying where he lived was a breach of the Data Protection Act. And he asked her if she'd ever heard of the phrase, the customer is always right, because this customer thought she was a fat cow that needed to drag a comb through her hair. Anyway, shortly after this comment, the manager asked Dan to leave and never come back. Randall's Classics. So, on to Randall's Classic this week, and it's one from 1978, and it's called The Medusa Touch and stars Richard Burton. Now, it's a fucking cracker, and it's about a bloke who's got magical powers and he uses them to kill people. You know, like making a car crash into someone or making Westminster Abbey fall down, that sort of thing. Now, wouldn't that be a fucking great superpower? Just think of all the twats you could wipe out with that. Mind you, thinking about it, there'd be no one left, would there? 
Anyway, now in this film, uh, he makes a jumbo jet crash into a block of flats just for shits and giggles. What a prick. And all sorts of other shit happens. Won't spoil it for you, but track it down and get it watched. It's fucking great. Randall's Classics. So that's all for this week. As I said a bit ago, next week is our Christmas special, where all the films in the show will be Christmas films. If you want to email the podcast, the address as always is randallparker1971 at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Ta-da for a bit. (laughs) 